This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Americans went to the polls only a few weeks ago, and they came up with a divided result. The House of Representatives has shifted from the Republican to the Democratic Party, while the Senate has remained in the hands of Republicans. So why did this happen? Well, some people say it's because Mitch McConnell, the majority leader for the Republicans in the Senate, is a mastermind and learns how to handle political campaigns as well as legislation. Other people say it's broader political forces at work. It might be both. To discuss this topic, I have with me today Erica Suarez, Senior Policy Advisor to the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Erica, it's great to have you back to Harvard with me today. Thank you, Professor Peterson. I'm very glad to be here, and um, thank you for having me. Um, yes, and I am. Um, I work for Leader McConnell. I'm a senior policy advisor there in the office, and work on a number of different issues. But um, we were obviously intently watching uh, the midterms, and uh, you never want to. One thing that Leader McConnell always tells us is to never fall in love with the map. And what that means is um, a lot of there's a lot of political commentary on um, if a map is good or bad. For, now the map you mean yeah. by the map you mean the country. So it <laughs> yes. looked as it, it looks as if the Republicans should be doing well in the Senate just given the fact of who's running who's up for re-election and who's not up for re-election. That's what you That's mean by right. the map. That's right. That's what I mean by the map. We had I believe there were 10 states up um, that were states that were won by President Trump in 2016 that were held by Democrats. Um, so we felt like those were seats that um, that Republicans could win. And um, so we obviously were working very hard towards that. Um, I work on the policy side, so I'm not involved in the day-to-day of the of the political side of, of many of these operations. But, um, but we're close enough to get good updates to know kind of um, why these things happen. Um, some of the... Some but you are right close <laughs> to uh, the majority leader. And, yes. And so does, does he take a good look at what's going to happen in the upcoming election and try to uh, uh, steer resources in such a way as to as to produce an outcome favorable to to his staying in <laughs> the majority position sure of course um, I think the biggest thing um, yes and on the political side of course he's um, you know obviously very involved in tracking these races um, is probably the number one person who's most interested um, because you know that keeps him in the position of being the offensive coordinator versus the defensive coordinator which is what he always says but um, but I think what we can also think of in terms of what are the types what are the elements that had to come together to win some of those seats and um, and from our perspective on Capitol Hill we knew that um, you know We've actually had a very two two very successful years. Um, Leader McConnell has spoken uh, about this a lot publicly, um, about how in his time, and he's been in the Senate for a long time. He first ran in 1984. That um, the last two years have been the most consequential. If you're a center right person, the last two years of what we've been able to accomplish has been the most productive time. He says in his time in the Senate. Um, so I think that actually says a lot. So. So 
we were slowly but surely sort of trying to build up a narrative of what are the types of things that you're going to go back and sell to voters. Um, so this started early on, and, and we've had President Trump to be able to sign those types of things into law. Right, but you didn't get the Obamacare repealed. That, <laughs> right. that might have been the uh, yes. misstep of trying that to was, do that. That was. And, um, and you know, we might there, there might be a chance to try to do something on the health care front uh, down the road. I don't think it means that we, we ever gave up on it. But it was it, that that was a loss that was, that stung, and um, and it was definitely felt. Um, in some ways, you know, we turned around. I mean, it was a short period of time. Um, the loss on healthcare happened in July of 2017. Um, we and, and this is, says a lot about Leader McConnell and sort of his um, his commitment to sort of not giving in to sort of failure and moving on from fight to fight. We turned around and started the debate on reforming the tax code immediately. Um, there was barely any time between these two things. And and you can imagine in a place like Washington, in a place like where the tax code hasn't been reformed in 30 years, um, we we had we that bill was passed, I believe, the second to last week of December of that of that same year. So I mean, that's a pretty short amount of time to get something through. Uh, we use the budget reconciliation instructions um, that gives you the ability to do it at a lower th vote threshold. Um, so there has been some criticism that it was done in a partisan manner. But, um, but you couldn't get to everything that you wanted to do, unfortunately, in the tax space without being able to do that in a, in a somewhat partisan way. So the one issue that uh, people keep hoping will be solved in a bipartisan way is the immigration issue, which uh, is so troubling to so many people. Is there any hope moving forward now that we have divided government that divided government will enable us to solve a problem that a unified government couldn't solve uh, over the last two years? Yeah, I think it's definitely sort of on our list of, of things that, um, that, and we know that there are several categories within the immigration debate that need to be addressed. Um, it's it's obviously a hot button issue in the sense that people get emotional about it. But divided government might be the time that you might be able to um, sort of take some of the emotion out of it and actually look at um, what are some of the ways we could be helping and kind of figuring out sort of everything from border security to addressing you know what are some of our needs um, on the illegal immigrant side and and figuring out how to address some of this um, in a constructive in a bipartisan manner. You know, we we brought up, we tried to do this actually, and it wasn't divided government. So earlier this year, um, Leader McConnell did put um, a, a shell bill on the floor saying, hey, here's a, an opportunity to do something on immigration. And unfortunately, the debate was still mired in sort of um, in the people sort of going to their normal camps and, um, and turning it into more of a sort of partisan debate. Um, it, there might be an opportunity, though, with divided government next year. We know that um, there's sort of perennial issues that keep coming up, like the border wall, border security, and those types of things. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I think we need to see what happens. Um, the leadership team on the House will be set sometime soon. 
and um, and then we'll be able to start working together to see like what are the areas of um, you know it's sort of like a Venn diagram <laughs> you know what is what's that middle um, sort of section where you know that there is some agreement um, because there is some agreement in the immigration space it's not um, completely partisan so um, it's a little to be decided but it, it would definitely be on one of the list of items well very soon the government is going to have to decide uh, whether or not it's going to pass a bill uh, in order for it to continue in operation. So the question I have for you is, uh, how is the border issue going to be solved, the building of the wall issue, I should say? Uh, is there a, an opportunity for a deal between Republicans and Democrats uh, that will allow for the passage of uh, legislation that the president will sign? I think that this is the thing, you know, actually that's being debated this week, this week and next week. Um, December 7th is the deadline to fund the government. And there's a lot of issues at stake. You know, obviously the wall has turned into one of more of those headline type issues. Um, we've been supportive of President Trump's desire to get additional funding um, to be able to have some kind of wall um, on the border. I think it's going to be this ongoing conversation with sort of, um, it, it's happening more, you know, the way that this works is, um, you know, the committees try to work this stuff out at a sort of committee level. And the types of things that aren't resolved at the committee level slowly percolate, percolate up to the leadership level. And, um, and then we continue to have those conversations with the White House and um, with the other leaders offices so nothing's been decided on it yet but um, but we do everybody knows that this December 7th deadline is approaching but I think there is a there is a deal to be had on this um, I think making sort of the funding work is um, you know and, and the concept of the wall sort of means different things to different people for some people it's you know a, an actual wall for other people and um, there's interest in um, you know thinking about border security um, and we've heard a lot from people who actually work there, you know, um, in in the Southwest, you know, whether it's Customs and Border Patrol and those types of agents who um, have a lot of sort of a lot of good information on um, what are the actual needs from a security standpoint, what are the actual needs on the on the Southwest border. So those conversations are still sort of evolving. Um, we should have an answer in the next <laughs> week, though. Well, is this something that the Republicans can do with a simple majority, or do they need to get a supermajority in the Senate well, to move forward? Um, on this, um, so December's a really busy month on Capitol Hill. No matter what policy area you're interested in, it is likely that something is moving in some aspect. Um, so the end-of-the-year package um, – you know, typically this isn't the way that we like to govern um, this new cycle where um, everything sort of comes. You have these deadlines and it's all these cliffs and that type of thing. Um, we prefer a regular order where you're doing this the right way. And um, we, we actually have people don't know this, but um, we had regular order on appropriations this entire year for the most part. We finished funding 75 percent. Of, of what needs to be funded. So what we're talking about for December is only 25% of the funding. So, so this it's is not going to be the amount. whole government shutdown. Yes, exactly. It'd be just a, a yes, bit of it. It's a, it would be a partial. Yeah. It would be a partial government shutdown. Um, you know, and we're not even talking about that at this point, but um, because we're we're hopeful that we can have success on this. But um, 
because um, sort of the ebb and flow of Capitol Hill, the, the bills that are sort of left to debate at the end are the ones that are more controversial because you weren't able to get consensus on them earlier in the year. Um, but we have been really proud of the fact that, um, and this was a big, this was a great feat. I don't think people know sort of um, that this hasn't been done in years where you've actually on time regular order been able to pass these bills in a sort of um, orderly, orderly um, manner. So that's actually been, um, uh, I mean, I, th- I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, there it's um, 20 plus years where it's, be- where it's been done like this. So um, so this last 25%, um, to your first, but to your original question on this, um, this is not a simple majority um, type of thing. This is, which, you know, we've talked you about. You need how to have to get 60 votes to, get to close 60. off the debate. Right. Uh, so, so this is so why you've this is have a bipartisanship. It's here. a bipartisan, yes, this is definitely bipartisanship. Um, most of what goes on in the Senate is at a 60 vote threshold. There are a few things, um, nominations and, um, and judges, and a couple other things like budget reconciliation. Um, some deregulatory measures, like when you use the Congressional Review Act, to um, that happen at the lower threshold, which is 51. Um, but for the most part, your day-to-day basis, a regular bill in the United States Senate is usually at 60. So it still has to be a bipartisan vote. So now you did mention uh, uh, nominations. Uh, and so let me ask you about uh, an education nomination uh, that was very controversial, and that is the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. The Senate has to confirm it. It's, mm-hmm. it's the function of the Senate to be the human resources department of the U.S. <laughs> government. Uh, I think you said that earlier today, Eric. I thought it was one of the most brilliant observations <laughs> you've made. Uh, is that, uh, this is what the Senate has to do. It's got to uh, take a good look at appointments. So why was Betsy DeVos so controversial a nomination uh, that was uh, only barely confirmed by the U.S. Senate? Right. Well, um, just to back up a little bit on sort of nominations in general, um, you're, and you're right, yes, we are the, we are the HR office. Um, we're in the personnel business, unlike the House of Representatives, that um, they have other responsibilities, of course, like revenue bills and starting revenue bills and that kind of thing. But one of our big responsibilities is, um, and p- people sometimes forget this, um, you know, staffing really all of these agencies and, and and ensuring that the president has the team in place that he needs across all of these different agencies. Um, and we've had um, some some fairly partisan fights in the Senate where um, Leader McConnell, as the leader, has had to do what they ca- call filing cloture, which is really something that shouldn't have to be done on a lot of these sort of, um, you know, kind of normal types of um, appointments. But um, he's had to do this far more than any other president or any other leader has had to do to help this president staff up. Um, but to Secretary DeVos, um, which we're big fans of Secretary DeVos, and we've worked closely with her over the years and, and have known her and have known her um, leadership in the education space um, from her time in Michigan and um and, and her and what her interests are. I think that, um, you know, when we were first confirming Trump's cabinet, um, 
I know that it was a shock to many people. You know, first the President Trump was elected, and then um, and then people, at least on Capitol Hill, um, not our people, but um, the other side, in terms of who were the types of people that he was going to be putting into these cabinet positions. So you know, they, um, you know, I think they they don't like <laughs> Secretary DeVos. We know that. Um, you know, and they um, and they definitely gave her a grilling and her confirmation um, in her hearing. Um, you know, not unusual. I mean, a lot of these hearings um, are explosive and, and tend to go in that direction um, because we are in, in somewhat partisan times with this. But, um, but at the same time, we've, we've been working with her and we know her commitment to these issues and we know the right types of people that are being appointed to the right types of positions at, uh, at the education department. So um, she continues to um, actually be, um, uh, you know, not rightly so, but is looked at as a somewhat controversial figure She's had to, you know, there's been protests and things when she visits schools. And um, so this is not ideal for some for her to be able to do her job. Um, and so that's that's made it very difficult. But um, we were able to get her confirmed on the floor, on the United States Senate floor, and had no problem with that. Um, so we were glad that she was able to be in the Well, position. I don't think it was quite so easy. I think it's another example <laughs> yes. of, uh, of uh, Senator McConnell's skill uh, <laughs> as a leader that he was able to uh, accomplish that. But now one of the things that Betsy DeVos has always been uh, very much in favor of is school choice, mm-hmm. and uh, including school vouchers or mm-hmm. tax credits that help people yeah. uh, pay for a private education. And the... Uh, Republicans did pass a great tax bill that uh, reformed things, and there was a lot of hope in the school choice community that we would get uh, a sizable federal tax credit that would uh, be uh, allow many more people uh, to send their child to a private school if they wanted to do so. And that didn't quite happen. Uh, Why was it so difficult uh, Mm -hmm. for the Republicans to um, address that question in the tax reform? Right. I think, um, and and we were talking about this earlier, I think that some of this, um, and this is actually worth a little bit of discussion on sort of how the tax bill was passed, and or how you pass any of these sort of um, big bills that um, you're going to be accused of, you know, adding to the debt. Um, something um, in the tax reform space, for example, where um, typically Republicans, um, you know, have, have, have liked to give, you know, um, sort of generous credits with some of the sort of interesting pet projects that, you know, members like. Um, On the substance of vouchers, I don't think there's any real disagreement um, across the board within our conference. One of the issues when you're doing something big, so for instance, with the tax bill, um, you know, the code has not been overhauled in in a significant amount of time, almost 30 years. Um, So when we were were starting the process sort of from the ground up on this, um, you've got all these external factors. Um, Every time you have um, some policy idea, and this is actually a good reminder for kind of bills across the board, not necessarily just this, um, because we were using the budget reconciliation, um, you, you needed to um, so-called make the math work. And um, that meant, um, that meant first of all, making sure that whatever provision you're pushing um, was able to sort of pass the criteria of what it takes to, to be part of a budget reconciliation bill. So that's kind of issue number one. But the next issue, and I think this is where you probably run so into. So reconciliation bills seem to be sort of odd bills. So what is? Oh yeah. What is a <laughs> I'll, reconciliation bill? I'll back up bill. a little yeah. with that. And um, what it is is, um, and it's somewhat, I think, 
I guess some view it as controversial, but it's a way to pass something at a lower threshold. And usually in the Senate, you're passing things at 60 votes. Um, the instructions that you get from sort of this budget reconciliation, which is outlined in the Budget Act of 1974, is a way that you can pass a bill at 51 votes at a simple majority threshold as long as this bill is having, it has to meet certain criteria that um, has an impact to the economy and, and different things like that. You, you get into, it's a somewhat complicated um, way to figure this out because you have to have the Senate parliamentarian weigh in on whether these things sort of meet that criteria. Um, I don't think that necessarily vouchers um, fell prey to something like that, but I think what the part of the problem is, if you're doing a big federal tax credit, there's going to end up being some kind of price tag associated with that. Um, price tag meaning as viewed by the Joint Committee on Taxation or the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. Um, what ends up happening when you're doing something big like reforming the code after 30 years, you have a situation where all of these things have, all of these individual policies have little price tags associated with them. And then when you add it all up, you're trying to figure out a way that is sustainable to pass something big without kind of going a little over the edge. Well, you can't increase the national debt. Uh, right. by the by the 10th year you've got yes. it's all got to be revenue root neutral right? right so we um we got out from some of the revenue neutral side of this conversation um there we have several senators that um, especially our finance committee senators that have been so eloquent and if you just google some of their names and and the topic of economic growth and the topic of um and what happened especially during this tax debate it's a really interesting topic because where they um helped us sort of explain this was saying okay you know the the way that you normally look at this is to just say does the math work or not but but we're not taking into account the sort of investments that you're putting back into the economy the growth associated with with this kind of tax bill because I do think the Democrats so tax cuts can pay for themselves because the economy <laughs> will grow faster right. and you'll get more revenue well so yeah so we were careful to not say that this bill exactly will pay for itself in this amount of time because because the economy is also dynamic and it's hard to know exactly how these things fall into place. But we've already seen um, right now. I mean, the economy's been great. I mean, there's we've had um, unprecedented growth, and and I'm not saying that every single thing is because of the tax bill. But um, but we are going to be able to get into a place that um, the left has wanted to probably demonize the tax bill, and 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 it's a complicated topic. So it's it's something that's in some ways is so easy what you're to telling demonize. Me is that with all of this complexity to the tax bill, it was really hard to right. uh, um, turn this into a school choice well, piece of legislation will, as well, that, yes. that, that there was just too much else going on there. Well, I, I, I want to note, though, because we did make some, um, some significant gains in the education space within the tax bill, because even though you might have not been able to do a standalone massive federal tax credit on vouchers, what you did have was the 529s, which have typically been um, used for higher education. But, um, and Senator Cruz was a big leader on this. I think it was his amendment. I think he was the one that pushed it. He was also the one that um, defended that policy um, with the Senate parliamentarian to make sure that it was going to be able to stay in the tax bill. And we expanded that to have it not to be able to use it for K through 12, to be able to use it at a parochial or private school, and um, or to be able to use it for homeschooling. So um, that was a really big victory. I think it's um, 
it's ten thousand dollars per child per family. Um, so that it's so I think that uh, I'm not sure what the price tag, so-called price tag, was associated with this expansion of the 529s. But so maybe even if you didn't get exactly what you wanted on the voucher front, um, you um, this was actually you could almost say that this is tantamount At to least it, getting it's, uh, moving in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. For sure. So yes. we, let's talk for a couple minutes about higher ed uh, yes. because the higher ed bill is yeah. coming up in the upcoming session and and I, I know the Democrats ran on uh, something like free college I'm not sure <laughs> that they all agree on that but uh, is is Congress going to uh, open up higher education to everyone free of cost is that <laughs> is that in the is that in our future? Well, um, higher education is um, definitely something that I think, um, and I know from the Senate standpoint, this would be an area of something that they would want to look at for next year. Um, Chairman Alexander, we haven't done all of our committee assignments for next year, but um, he'll likely um, be staying on as chairman of the HELP Committee. So um, he, so we know that this is on his radar for sure. The question about um, what we started out when we were talking about other areas, does divided government get you results? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Now, this is an area, and you alluded to it, um, not all Democrats have said they are for tuition-free for all. Um, but, but certainly, I think maybe more in the, in the Democrat base have, um, have had that sort of message. Um, similar to the conversation we were just having on the tax bill, um, you have to make the math work. And, um, and this is going to be, um, I think that there have, I don't have all the studies in front of me right now, but there have been initial um, sort of back of the napkin type, uh, back of the envelope type um, sketching out what is a tuition, a free tuition for all type of bill look like. And, um, and the math is very difficult on that on that front. So if we're doing something in a bipartisan sort of way, bicameral, bipartisan way, um, I think it would, um, we, you already know that it's hard to go down that path. Um, but doing something um, on higher ed reauthorization is entirely possible. And um, I think it's going to be one of those things of having to go sort of title by title, provision by provision. And again, back to our Venn diagram, what sort of matches up to where you can find some agreement. Um, and I think this will be, um, you know, the, the Democrats in the House are, you know, doing at some point here, will be doing their elections for a new speaker. And it looks like it's going to be um, uh, Leader Pelosi to be speaker. So this would be something I think we'd want to, um, you know, see what are, what, are, what are the opportunities for next year. And um, could this be one of them? And so we'd like there could it to be, be. There could be some compromises afoot in this in this higher education space. Yeah, I think education in general has been a space where you might be able to find um, some of the moderates of both parties coming together on some. But again, like like any of these issues, the devil's always in the details, and um, so it would have to be. Um, but higher ed, we were talking about this earlier too. I think um, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, and if you go back home and you're at a town hall. Um, it's it's most likely that you're hearing from someone younger younger people who are you know straddled with debt um, from college debt. Um, so we know that there are there is going to be definite interest in trying to figure out like the affordability side of this. I'm not sure that all of these topics will be able to be tackled in a higher ed reauth, but um, but I think that um, at least we know from a, enough of the rhetoric that it'll be something that people will be interested in talking about. Well, so. It, Two years, we have another election. Of course, they're always just just 
a little bit down the road, another election, and the next election is going to be a big one. Not only is the presidency up for grabs, but the Republicans in the Senate are going to have a struggle to maintain their majority. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the chances are that uh, Senator Mitch McConnell will still be majority leader uh, <laughs> two years from now? Well, um, <laughs> well, first of all, two years is um, sort of a lifetime in, um, <laughs> in, in the political world. So, um, and, and of course, you're talking to me as a, a McConnell fan, so um, I think he'll be fine. He, so, so one thing to note, he's up for his own reelection, so he'll be running. Um, and then we've got all these other seats up, too. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think we have close to probably 20-something seats up. It's the exact opposite of the map that just happened in the 2018 race where Democrats were um, more on the defense. Um, so Republicans will be um, trying to keep our majority in 2020. And of course, in states that are, um, in some states that are um, thought of as, you know, purple states. So it'll be a struggle. And then on top of all this, it's a presidential election too. So we're not just talking about this like it's a midterm. Um, President Trump, um, I'm assuming, is running for re-election and he'll be at the top of the ticket. So we've got, so there's so many different factors that could impact this and um, and also not knowing what are the types of things that will transpire in the next two years um, which also begs the question you know what's Congress going to do in that amount of time and I think um, you know if if history is um, any indicator not a lot happens in sort of the lead up to a big sort of presidential election year um, the window that you have so for some of these topics that we were just talking about like higher ed um, even things we haven't talked about, like infrastructure and things like that, that are on sort of the short list or wish list of could you get it done next year. Um, everyone in Washington kind of knows that you have a short window to do these types of bipartisan, bigger bipartisan types of bills. And then the window sort of closes because everybody goes into election mode and everybody kind of hibernates. And um, so I think we've got next year for, we didn't talk about trade. That's another um, big issue that trade, infrastructure, and education, I would say, are probably the three um, areas that people are sort of eyeing for bipartisanship for next year. But Apart from those, apart from some, and of course, the things that we have to get done, like funding the government and those kinds of things, um, and other things that, you know, expire and we have to reauthorize. Um, as soon as the window for legislation closes, you'll have most people going into sort of political mode. Um, but if McConnell has anything to say about it, um, what, what Leader McConnell has always said, back to us being in the HR business um, and the personnel business, is even once the window for bipartisan legislation closes, we still have, we always will have this laundry list of nominations to get through. So, um, so that will obviously be something <laughs> big that so we'll have to focus on. <laughs> any way you cut it, you're going to be busy yes. in the in the coming months. So thank you very much, uh, Erica, for joining me today on the podcast. Well, it's very interesting. I don't know if you remember that I, for a short period of time, I, I helped out and worked on Education Next. So um, I've been a fan <laughs> of what you all do here, and, um, and I'll continue to read it. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Erica. I've been speaking with Erica Suarez, Policy Advisor, to the majority leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell. Uh, this is Paul Peterson. Please join me uh, when you can on our podcast.